This morning, our worship continues to be different. It is unlike anything I've experienced before. Yet this morning, we continue to worship the Holy Trinity, even if we do it from our homes, apart from one another physically. Yet we are not separated spiritually. For the Spirit binds us together as the body of Christ, unified in Christ wherever we are. So as we pray, sing, read, even when we are being denied our obligation to gather as the people of God, we do it with great hope and joy because God is with us and God is for us. I want to remind all of you that since this Lord's Day worship is different, you can find on our website an accompanying bulletin to this audio sermon. I have made some modifications to help you as individuals and as families, whether two people or more, to continue to practice our habits, our routines, our rhythms of corporate worship to help shape our worship within our homes. Yes, my family will go through it just as yours will. Let us take advantage of this opportunity as families to perhaps begin our own family traditions, our own family customs of how we prepare to worship the living God each Lord's Day morning. Take these opportunities to explain to your children, whether they are little or they are grown, what we are doing each Lord's Day in worship. This is a unique opportunity to train our children when we don't have to worry how they might distract others. What a perfect time to help supplement our corporate worship. This is the time that we can watch the Lord at work, training our children in the important endeavor that will define the rest of their lives, worshiping the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Also, I remind you that the supplemental children's ministry email that was sent out by Miss Kimberly on Wednesday, in it you will find Sunday school materials of great ideas for family activities, as well as material to go through with your children. As we are confined to our homes during this pandemic, we pray that the Lord continues to use you in disciplining and training your children how to serve Jesus. With that said, let us go to him in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Help us now to hear and obey what you tell us today. Lord God, thank you for giving us the Bible, your word. Thank you that through reading it, we can learn more about you and learn to love you more. Send your Spirit to help us understand it and to help us grow. Lord, help us in this time of great need. We have all been afflicted by this virus in one way or another. We pray for the elderly and those susceptible to this virus. Protect them. Reveal to us, your church, how we can love them and serve them as the body of Christ. We pray for our work that you have given us and how it has changed. 
lead us and guide us in how we can work to your glory from wherever we are. Give us a holy patience that can only come from you. We pray for our children, whether grown in college or in our homes, especially for our seniors. This is a truly historic event affecting everyone. But may you bless them in their last few months in our homes. May you draw them near to yourself in this time, revealing to them your love and your grace that is found in Christ. We also pray for those outside of our church who have been afflicted by this virus. We pray that you heal and protect them. Protect and guide those who are serving in the medical field as they selflessly care for and bless those around them. Guide them in showing others dignity and respect. We pray for our government leaders. Give them wisdom based upon the truth. In a time where truth seems to change as the ways of the ocean come in, may our leaders speak truth to us, guiding us. Lord, draw near to us. When there is fear, oftentimes there is confusion. May we stand on the truth of the gospel. May we walk by faith. May you strengthen our faith this morning through your word. Bless us. Keep us. Make your face shine upon us. Amen. Do you have someone in your life that has perpetual permission to speak truth into your life? Someone who is able to speak of character flaws or opportunities of growth without retribution? I want you to hold on to that question. We will return to it again. How do we, do, how do we come into the presence of the Lord? As we come to this text this morning, this is the major question we must ask. How do we come into the presence of the Lord? Leviticus 10, 1-11 reveals to us a test case pointing us in the right direction to answer this question. The easiest way I can frame this passage is similar to the popular WWJD moral imperative that we saw in the 90s. What would Jesus do? Except it's the negative version, and I think it has potential of staying around. Don't do what Nadab and Abihu do. I can see the wristbands now. D-D-W-N-A-D. Don't do what Nadab and Abihu do. This narrative of Nadab and Abihu, sons of Aaron, is set in the larger context of the book of Leviticus. And as always, Context is king. Maybe some of you are continuing in your yearly reading plan and have just read through Leviticus. Or maybe if you're following the ESV reading plan, you're almost there. You should be on day 89, and Leviticus covers day 95 to 122. Only 277 days left. But for some of you, Leviticus might seem like a foreign book a weird and strange book that is included into the Word of God. If you were to ask, how would someone summarize Leviticus, which appears to be nothing but regulations, laws, and rules, which seem to be nothing more than an encyclopedia of knowledge, or as a lawyer would use for case law, it seems like Westlaw or LexisNexis. Yet, within Leviticus, 
There stands within laws and regulations and guidelines, God's ever-present grace. Leviticus has built into it God's covenant faithfulness, his mercy and steadfast love. God establishes these laws of legislation in order that his people might know him, in order that his people might live in proper relationship with their Lord and King. Leviticus shows that God's people Leviticus shows God's people how they are to be different from the world around them as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These laws, much like the Ten Commandments, are not given so that one might try to earn correct standing before God. These laws are given to the redeemed, instructing them how to remain within the covenant community. Leviticus reveals how God deals with Israel because Israel's sin defiles them. And if it remains, it has potential of defiling the Lord's holiness as he lives in their midst. Because he is pure. He is holy. And the Lord cannot allow defilement or uncleanliness to remain in the camp of his people. And if you remember the theme of Exodus, God's redemptive plan for the people of Israel was not only to liberate and redeem them out of Egypt, but it also included him descending and dwelling amongst his people. You can hear the echoes of Eden where God could live among his people and he could be their God and they could be his people, and covenant fellowship with one another. Yet this morning, we find ourselves thrusted into a difficult scene. Over the past nine chapters in Exodus, or in Leviticus, God has set up the Levitical system, the ritual practices for the priests on behalf of the people. Within those chapters, we can read the procedures the reasons, and the proper handling of the offerings and sacrifices to be performed by Aaron and his sons as mediators between the one holy God and the common people. Ninety-five times in the book of Leviticus, we find what Aaron and his sons are to do or what they are to refrain from. And yet we come to the part of the story where we find two priests Aaron's eldest sons define God's commands. And we see them reap what they sow. Yet it is not because of a lack of knowledge or understanding, because these two priests were not unfamiliar with God's commands. No, this is not the first time that we are introduced to these two priests. Yet we must ask ourselves as we come to this text, How are we to obey God's commands? For some of you, this is a no-brainer. By doing what God commands. You are a rule follower. You see what God says, and you expect everyone to do it, including yourself, and you hold everyone to that same standard. For others of you, this question might pose a deep-felt struggle. You might see and hear God as an unruly father 
uncompassionate and vengeful. And you might see him as a father that you were always trying your best to please, yet not quite sure how that might be done. For others of you, this question reveals great stress and anxiety. For you desire to obey and please the Lord, yet your sin overwhelms you, bringing in doubts of whether you truly believe or whether you truly have faith. But let us look to this text and see what it reveals about our God. Let us allow the text to interpret for us how we are to become, how we are to come before the Lord and how we are to obey God's commandments. Let us allow this text to shape us and mold us into the people that God desires us to be. Leviticus 10, 1 and 2. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came down from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. As I have just said, this is not our first introduction to these two sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu. We are first introduced to, to them on their birthday in Exodus 6.23. But more importantly, later in the story, we see Nadab and Abihu appear in the narrative again. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 24. Chapter 24 is such an important chapter in the book of Exodus. As we see in Exodus 19, God came to Moses and to the people. And while you're turning to Exodus 24, listen to these words from Exodus 19. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. They pledged their obedience to Yahweh. And Moses reported these words of the people to the Lord. And then the Lord came down in a thick cloud of smoke as fire descended upon the mountain before Moses and all the people. Then the people received the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. And from the end of Exodus 20 to the Exodus 23, God teaches Israel how to apply these commands. Then we get to Exodus 24. The heading in the ESV Bible gives this chapter the heading of the covenant confirmed. Read with me Exodus 24, 1 to 11. Then he, God, said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules 
And all the people answered with one voice, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and twelve pillars, according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel, who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in the basins, and half the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And then listen to this in verse 8. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven of clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Nadab and Abihu accompanied Moses on Mount Sinai and beheld God. They were sons of Aaron in the lineage of the priesthood of Israel. Yet in these two verses in Leviticus 10, we see what happens when those who are set apart for the ministry of the word and sacrifices when they intentionally disobey God's commands. They had seen God. They had eaten with God on the mountain. And yes, they did. And yet they disobeyed his commands. As Levitical scholar and seminary professor Jay Sklar points out, this chapter, chapter 10, stands in strong contrast to the previous two chapters. Leviticus 8 9 repeatedly note that Moses and Aaron did everything as the Lord commanded. But this chapter begins by declaring that Nadab and Abihu presented an offering to the Lord that the Lord had not commanded. Moreover, Leviticus 9 ends with a sign of the Lord's favor, fire coming down out from before him and consuming the offering, the pleasing aroma to the Lord, while this chapter begins with a sign of judgment. Fire comes out from before the Lord and consumes Nadab and Abihu. Nadab and Abihu deliberately disobeyed God and they received God's judgment. Now, what exactly did Nadab and Abihu do? As we will see later, their sin is multifaceted. The first thing we can recognize is that they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And your first question might be, what was this unauthorized fire? But I actually don't think it was the fire that they presented that incurred God's judgment As the text will later reveal in Leviticus 16, the reason for God's judgment was that they had done what God had not commanded them to do. Over the past nine chapters, God has revealed to them how they were to obey him. Over and over again, we see the phrase, as the Lord commanded them, yet here we see the sin of Nadab and Abihu. They deliberately disobeyed. 
God's command. While reading this story, we can all come away with its main application. Do not disobey God's command. Or said positively, obey God's command. Either way we state it, the main focus of this text is that God calls us to full obedience. This is how chapter 10 relates to the chapters around it. Yet we must also understand, for Israel, their sin defiled both themselves and the Lord's holy dwelling place in their midst. Their sin had to be dealt with. This text reveals that even the priests of Israel, Aaron's firstborn son, do not enter into God's presence on their own accord. They too are called to faithfulness to God's covenant stipulations. Yet I see in my own life, oftentimes I view God's holiness flippantly, believing in my heart that he will accept me for who I am. Yet this is not how the Lord receives me. But this is what our pride does to us. It distorts the truth. How many of us oftentimes see ourselves as special, almost as though we deserve God's grace? Yet in so doing, we disregard the Lord's commands and we dishonor his holiness. Thinking that we are able to enter in his presence just brings God down to us. It lowers the standard of God's holiness. Yet what we must understand is that we do not come into the Lord's presence as our best selves. We come into the presence of God through the same way that the priests and the people of Israel and Leviticus came into the presence of God through the blood of a sacrifice. Yet the blood of the sacrifice that allows us to enter in to God's presence is the blood of Jesus. This is what Nadab and Abihu forgot intentionally. They wanted to go into the holies of holy, the holy of holies, because they thought they were good enough on their own merit. They thought they were special enough that they didn't need the blood to cover them. And this is how Leviticus prepares God's people for Jesus. This is how we see Christ in all of Scripture. We do not go to God under our own work or our own strength. We come to God because he put his son forward as a propitiation by his blood. We come to God through faith in Jesus Christ, the better high priest. We come to God because Jesus has reconciled us to God and one and to one another. For we were enemies. We were sinners. We did and do exactly what Nadab and Abihu did. We intentionally disobey God's commands. Yet Christ bore the wrath of God for us upon the cross, reconciling us to God. And this is what Hebrews 10 tells us. How, we, how do we enter into the presence of God? 
Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Nadab and Abihu didn't understand that they weren't good enough on their own. They were not holy enough to enter into God's presence. And God's presence requires perfect holiness. Yet we are able to enter God's presence because we have been made perfectly clean. We do not enter in God's presence because we are able to fulfill the law's demands. We are able to enter into God's presence because Christ has fulfilled the law's demands. Christ, the great high priest, has made a sacrifice once and for all. If we believe in the name of Jesus, we no longer stand outside the tent, the holy of holies. We no longer are restricted by the veil, the curtain which contained the glory of the Lord. No, the glory and the radiance of the Lord shines through Christ and is now ours. We now enter into the presence of God with confidence through Christ. This is our assurance. Christ is our inheritance. He is our hope and our confidence. For he is the faithful one. When we sin, we draw near to God in Christ. For through Christ our sins are forgiven and we are made clean. How in the past two weeks have you needed to be reminded of God's holiness? How in the past two weeks have you needed the blood of Christ to wash over you because you have forgotten the promises and commands of God? How many of you are like me and have really needed to ask God for patience with my children? How many of you are like me and have needed to ask God for hope because of what's going on in our world and even in our own communities. How many of you have needed to hear the word, these words this week? You are holy saints of God, washed by the blood of Christ, and you may enter into his presence. Your faith may be weak, but he who promised is faithful. Yet we must not be uninformed. For Hebrews 10 also warns us against the same type of mindset and sin that we see in Leviticus 10. Look at Hebrews 10, 26 and 27. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. This morning, if you find yourself in sin that seems insurmountable, please allow the prayers of God's people to overwhelm your hopelessness with confidence that Jesus is alive. He has defeated the power of death 
and death no longer has power over you. If you feel your sin is irresistible and overpowering you, come to the elders of Christ Presbyterian Church. We will not judge you. That is for the Lord to do. But as I know each of our elders, we desire to help you. We desire to comfort you and to walk alongside you, encouraging you to be reconciled through the blood of Christ. Because just like Israel's sin corrupted themselves, your sin pours out to those who are nearest you. Let our elders help you. Let us encourage you and remind you of the gospel. If you feel like you love your sin too much, please, as God reveals his holiness to you, this holiness that reveals your sin and that your sin must be dealt, dealt with in its entirety to, for you to enter into the presence of God. His, he is merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, yet will by no means clear the guilty. Draw near to him through Christ. Draw near to him. Pray that he will draw near to you. Yet this is not all that is here in this text. For as we see in verses 3 to 11, after Nadab and Abihu intentionally disobey God's commands, we see that Moses, Aaron, Mishael, Elzaphan, Eleazar, and Ithmar show us how to be faithful to God's commands. And we see at the end of this text, the Lord speaks directly to Aaron for the first and only time in Leviticus. And here God emphasizes the importance of Aaron's calling and that he must pay particular attention to God's commands. He gives him three commands. The first in verse 9, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. The second is in verse 10. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, and between the unclean and the clean. The third in verse 11. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. Drinking wine and strong drink, which is a fermented drink, was not sinful in and of itself, but was prohibited for the priest to partake when they went before the tent of meeting, when they were to go into the presence of the holy God. Their close proximity of this pro the, the close proximity of this prohibition with the deaths of Nadab and Abihu suggests that this was something of the multifaceted sin that they committed. Also, drinking wine and strong drink prohibits the priests from doing the other things that God has commanded them to do. If you're tipsy, you cannot distinguish between what is holy and is common. 
between what is unclean and what is clean. If you're drunk, you cannot teach Israel the statutes of the Lord. As Nadab and Abihu were men who disregarded the Lord's commands, men who broke their covenant vows, men who intentionally denied faithful living in the presence of God. Here we find Aaron living faithfully for all of Israel to see how one is to hold himself in covenant fellowship with Yahweh. They were to follow the Lord's command exactly as he declared and so honor him as their king. They were also responsible. The priests were also responsible for leading Israel spiritually, guiding them in their covenant relationship with their covenant king by example. Think what could happen to God's people if the priests' sins were not dealt with. Do you know what happened to Israel when her priests no longer obeyed the will of God? They were exiled. King after king after king were evil in the eyes of the Lord. Think of what happened to Samuel's sons. Today we do not follow the legislative text of the, for the sacrificial systems found in Leviticus. They prepare us, God's people, for understanding the work of Christ. Also today, we do not have earthly priests who mediate between us and God because Jesus has become our high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews tells us, We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand on the, on, of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. We no longer have earthly high priests. We have Jesus, who continually makes intercessions for us, yet we still have leaders in the church that are to care for the flock. We see this over and over again in the New Testament. Elders are established in all the churches to rule individual churches well in the name of Christ, not mediating the presence of God, but ministering in the name of Jesus. As one commentator puts it, captains bear more responsibility than the passengers for the ship's safety and face stricter punishments when they fail in their duties. This is not for the sake of being for being hard on the captains. It is for the sake of protecting the passengers. As we see in Leviticus 10, the sins of the priest disseminated into all the people. In the New Testament, Elders are called to a higher calling, a higher calling. All of Christ Presbyterian Church's elders teach, and when they do this, we are not teaching of our own wisdom. We are not teaching of our own greatness. We are pointing you to Christ. 
your great high priest. When we minister to you in the name of Jesus, we are ministering to you as if Jesus were here ministering to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we do it properly, praise be to God. Paul's letter to Timothy calls Timothy, a minister of God's word, to set an example in speech and conduct, in love and faith and purity. Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, and do not, not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that you, so that all may see your progress. Keep, us, keep a close watch on yourselves and on the teaching. Persist in it. For by so doing, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. Paul is exhorting Timothy as a leader of the church to be example to those in the church. One of the major themes in Leviticus 10 is the awesome responsibility of God's people, especially the priests, to be spiritual leaders of God's people. The elders of Christ's Presbyterian Church are called to this holy endeavor. They are called to live a life of covenant faithfulness by example for the people, by pointing the people into the direction of covenant faithfulness as the people of God. And this passage reminds all of God's people, especially the spiritual leaders of the congregation, how much we must cry out for the strength of Jesus to follow his commands. We cannot do it on our own strength. I ask for you, I plead for you to pray for the leaders of this church. We need your prayers. If we do not have people speaking into our lives, lovingly showing us our character flaws and opportunities of growth, we cannot lead the people of God. We are called to remove our sin so that it does not affect the people. And you also are called to live faithfully, showing the people around you the holiness of God as you are called to be his holy priesthood and kingdom of priests. And yet we still enter with confidence through the blood of Christ. As you go on into your week, remember these promises that God is faithful, that he is with us, and that our sin has been covered. Also pray for our leaders. As we make decisions in the coming weeks of how we can serve you, of how we are to worship God together while being apart. Pray that we might lead by example for the glory of Christ. Amen.